that on, that's better. <laughs> Works better that way. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I had the experience, uh, since I came a little early and was sitting in the last sitting, I came in and I had an experience which really seemed to me to be a um, micro version of uh, uh, the understanding that's implicit in formal metta practice that we have uh, people who we uh, are dear to us. I looked around, I thought, oh, there's so-and-so, and there's so-and-so, people that I know for a long time, and I recognize them. And you actually feel different in your body. Your heart kind of leaps up. Oh, there's so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. And then you look around a little more, and then you say, oh, yeah, and I think I know that one, and that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. And you feel good about that, lovely to see them and that they're well. And then if you look around, you see other people, and say, well, I'm not so sure, you know, if I know that one or not. But everybody looks good, you know. <laughs> and and, and I, I, I think that that really, uh, when the mind is in a good shape, you can start by reminding yourself that your heart knows how to respond to what is best beloved or what is well-known. And then once it's on a roll, it just really is prepared to include all beings because here we all are. I think that that formulation of how the particular way in which we practice here, starting from uh, the the um, really close bonds that we feel, and working out to uh, outwards to that line in the Metta Sutta that says outward and unbounded, particularly the line in the Metta Sutta that says, "May all beings, omitting none, be at ease." I think that. Uh, if if I think about what would characterize how I understand about the point of the transformation of habits that I'm hoping is happening in my mind, is that that would come to be more and more the wish of my heart evident to me all the time, that I would live in that place of good wishing. I wanted to, uh, by the way, bring you this... uh, recent issue of The New Yorker to make that last point that I did. You may have seen it. It's um, a picture of a school play and uh, if you can't see it very well that's okay, I'll put it up on the bulletin board afterwards. But from far away maybe you can make out that there are children here on a a stage in a school play and uh, they're distinctive looking children. It's a diverse community. And each one looks quite different from the other. And back, uh, the, what you see in the foreground are the, the from behind in the uh, behind the audience. So you would say in the back of the auditorium. So the picture is shot from there. So you see the backs of all these parents seeing these children performing in a play, and they're all holding up cell phones and taking pictures. <laughs> And everyone is taking a picture of their person, so you can you can see that. Uh, uh, I remembered that uh, uh, when my uh, my youngest uh, child, my young my youngest daughter, who is now in, into her fifties, was dancing uh, in as a child in the Nutcracker Ballet uh, every year because she was a student at the ballet school. She, a couple of years, had one of the roles of the uh, people who come in, the, the small children who come in underneath the Chinese dragon, and they, they dance around on the stage. And all you can see is eight pairs of legs in black leotards that come running onto the stage and cavorting around. And uh, the woman who was my help and housekeeper and caretaker of my children because I was working full-time at that time would always come with me to the ballet and we'd watch it and he would come in that Chinese dragon and Pearl would say there's Emmy it's the third legs you know so that, you know if you if somebody is dear to you you know you know we check later were you the third legs yes I was the third legs but because you have feelings about the third legs at some point, it really goes from there to we hope, and I think as as we mature to realize the parents of all those other legs are also 
equally invested. They have, if we had had cell phones in those days, we would have been doing that. That impulse to wish well. And I was, uh, when I said I'd come today, so I'm very pleased to be here. This is a terrific thing to be able to do, to not be here all the time because that doesn't work so well anymore, but to be here some of the time so I feel connected to it. It's, that's super. I love it. Thank you for inviting me. So uh, when I thought about it and I talked to my colleagues and they said, well, why don't you talk about um, compassion on on Thursday and then come again on Saturday and we'll see. Uh, maybe Mudita, maybe Mudita creeps in a little bit today in what I have to say. I'll say something on Saturday. Uh, it's hard for me to have an idea of this is a good thing to say and save it for another time. If I have a good thing to say, I generally say it. But I spent a lot of time thinking about what I would say in this short period of time because I want us to have a time. I want to say a few things. I want us to sit and I want to have time for questions and answers as well. And I was thinking about how uh, compassion especially seems to me to be... Um, uh, I'll start that sentence again. I've long thought that instead of calling this kind of uh, Brahma-vihara practice metta practice and then learning loving-kindness practice and then adding compassion and mudita and equanimity to it, that uh, it seemed to me it would be equally valid to call it compassion practice altogether. Because I think there's a way that the whole of practice is compassion practice and developing compassion. That uh, if I think about mindfulness practice, which was my original practice and probably for some of you, maybe not all of you, uh, the rubric that we learned was that uh, practicing mindfulness would lead to insights, would lead to wisdom, would lead to the understanding that life is really, that dukkha is really true, that this experience of being a human being is complex and challenging for everyone. And out of that awareness and that deep understanding would come compassion. So that it was a formula that seemed to me for a long time to be a proceeding from the beginning of attention, paying attention mindfully, and arriving at compassion. And over the years, I began to think a lot about paying attention carefully uh, without without leaping into the moment, without complicating it, without manipulating it, without coercing it, which is really what mindfulness is, is itself a compassionate act, is itself an act of compassion towards oneself. In any moment that I meet it mindfully, really with balanced, alert awareness, not complicating it by liking and not liking and pushing and pulling, it's really a compassionate act to myself. So maybe it's all compassion in a certain way. And maybe in, when, we, when we teach uh, loving-kindness practice, as you've been doing all week long, with this person or that person or this or that, we often say, and I often say, if you think about somebody who you just either know or hardly know, but where the situation is not complicated by really dire circumstances or really extraordinary circumstances. Metta seemed like the kind of plain response to plain life. But as I thought about it more and more, I thought I'm not so sure that there's any kind of a plain life, that um, life is really complicated for everybody. And that maybe the... uh, It's... it's, uh, Maybe the, the real practice that we're doing is developing this inclination of the mind and heart that steadies the mind enough to really cause that understanding, that wisdom to be etched into our minds so that we don't lose it. I would say now that I think all of the Brahma-vihara practices are practices to keep confusion out of the mind so our inherent um, instinct to kindness can manifest, because they're all manifestations of kindness. Metta is a wish for, may you be well. 
and karuna, compassion, is may you be well. And the same when someone has some wonderful sudden cause for joy or something's exciting or wonderful has come into somebody's life, to be able to wish them wholeheartedly well. It's an act of compassion for yourself if you are troubled in any way by what's happening. And it's really the compassionate understanding that everything arises and passes away as these moments of difficulty are happening in somebody's life and moments of uh, outstanding joy and thanksgiving are happening in somebody else's life. Maybe in the, in the framework of um, wisdom, everything is the source of compassion. There was a, a, a line from Thomas Merton that struck me very much in my early practice where he said it was his experience. He said, everything is suffering and everything is compassion. And I, I really have thought about it over the years. And I thought, and it, it's one of those things that you get it but then I think I get it better, and then I get it better. Over the years, there are things that I think, oh, now I understand that. Does it happen to you where you think you understand something? And then maybe time passes, and you're on retreat again, or hear another talk, or something happens with you, and you have again that same insight, and you probably have discovered that one insight, and not once and for all are we liberated. But we fall into confusion again. And then another time, and all of a sudden we say, oh, I get that. Now I understand. Now I really understand what that's about. Now I really got it. I used to think I got it, but now I really got it. This week I really got the story of uh, Kisagatami in a way that I hadn't before. It has to do with compassion. Kisagatami is the woman in the mustard seed parable. And many of you have heard the mustard seed story of a woman who named Kisagatami, whose uh, son dies and who's distraught and bereft. And uh, someone tells her, go to see this wonderful healer and sage. And the Buddha says, I will. And she pleads to restore her son to life. And he says, I'll do it, but you need to go to the, and get me some mustard seeds from houses where no one has ever died. So she goes into the town, and of course you can see the story will be that there are no houses where no one has died, because that's what happens. There are people, there are experiences of losing people. And in the story that I've heard, lo, these 30 years, this is the first time that I read a particular fuller version of that parable from yet a newer source, or one that I hadn't read, where uh, it always ended uh, that she asked around, discovered that there were no such houses, and it says, and she came back and she bowed to the Buddha and became his disciple. This has a fuller end in terms of her actually carrying her child, it's quite devastating, carrying her child to the burial gat and... uh, Saying to saying to him, you know, I'm, I'm very. This saddens me tremendously to lose you, but I can't have you anymore. So now this is where I need to leave you. And going back to the Buddha, and on the way, saying to herself, I know now why the Blessed One sent me to the town, and didn't just tell me that all lives end. She said, I went to town, and I see now that all lives end. And I also see that that's true for everyone. I'm not doing this alone. This is not unique to me. I am. I'm. I'm now adding to the uh, the to uh, the words that she says in the parable. But she said, "I see now that he meant me to connect with the whole world that is suffering as I am with losses." And I thought that's really very important. That makes the story of the Buddha much warmer to me. Now I like it better, the original story. That he sent me in order to connect me to other people so I would not be alone in my experience. This happens to everybody. I heard a great thing on CBS News the other day. It was last week, so it was when you were, before you came on retreat, do you remember that there was a very big uh, ice storm on the East Coast and 
my, my friends in Grand Rapids didn't go out for days from their house because everything was frozen and freezing. And uh, so when on the coldest, coldest day, it was a big deal on the CBS News how much cold and how frigid it was and how low the temperature was. And they said, and now we're going to uh, Buffalo, New York, where the temperature, the wind factor was, I don't know, a zillion below zero. It was very cold there. And we're going to go to our affiliate, John Smith, in... uh, uh, WXYZ in Duluth and you have it John and John says and here I am I'm going to interview this uh, uh, Tom Jones here he has a car repair place here in Duluth he says Mr. Jones how is the storm <laughs> and Mr. Jones says it's okay this is Buffalo <laughs> you know and it, I mean, I, I thought that was great. I thought if I ever, if I ever want to write a book or write an essay, I'm going to call it "It's Okay." This is Buffalo, you know. This, I, but and then we talk about it's really the message of Kisakatami. It's okay. This is life. This is what happens. You live in Buffalo. It's cold. That's all. It's not a big deal. I thought it was so cute because of the big build-up. Because they, you know. Because they really like to have drama on the news that people say, I'm freezing to death. That's okay, it's Buffalo. (laughs) So I think it's really, that's great wisdom, you know. And I thought, you know, clearly, that's okay, it's life. 10,000 joys, 10,000 woes. And it's hard, I think, in the abstract, it's, it's easy to think about people are suffering somewhere and uh, I wish them well. In the immediate, in the particular, when we see people or people we care about are in pain in their bodies or their minds and we know them, it has a particular, uh, first of all, it touches us in a particular way. And it's very hard to stay present for it because it's it's it's... When people that you love and close, who are close to you are very sick, you feel it in your body. It hurts you. Um, and it's hard to keep your mind steady because you want so much for it to be otherwise. And I think that for uh, we live in human bodies with human affiliations and to balance the fact that we care so much in the particular and even in the, uh, in the abstract, we care a lot. And how to be able to care and respond out of the clarity of knowing it'll be what it'll be. I'm doing the best I can. I've done everything I can. Many, many years ago, uh, I I I have a friend. My friend is a um, my friend is a Catholic nun, and she's been my friend for forty years and a nun for sixty years. And um, she, uh, the, one of her friends died, a woman in her mid forties, and uh, she told me that the friend's mother was in uh, uh, with her and some of her other sisters. Uh, with Rosemary, as Rosemary was dying. And she said, um, Rosemary was suffering, and um, her mother said to her, put her hand on her and said, it's all right, Rosemary, you're just dying. And I thought, wow, you really need a steady kind of understanding to do that. (coughs) You really do. We need a really steady kind of understanding to do anything. Not steady, not to, you know, I'm sure that inherent in what I said is not that you don't do everything you can to change a situation and to fix it and to heal and to do what you can and then to be able to manage it when you can't. To say, this I can't do. I can't fix it. I think that's really about becoming heartbroken and discovering that that's actually not so bad. 
At the end of retreats, people often ask at the end, they say, um, I feel like I've taken off my outer layers of skin while I'm here. Uh, especially maybe on metta retreats, but who knows? Just sitting quietly, especially maybe on metta retreats because we think so much of our people that we care about. People we didn't even know we cared about so much become dear to us. People say, I'm a little afraid to leave this retreat because I feel like I've become too vulnerable. And um, I always like to say, I don't think there's any such thing as too vulnerable. I think if the whole world suddenly became too vulnerable, we'd stop killing each other and we'd share and we would befriend everybody and really everybody's child would be equally valuable. We'd probably get more excited about our set of legs under the caterpillar or whatever. But we would really so get it that everybody cares as much about their people as we do about ours. I heard uh, a man, um, uh, there's a man named Bob Duppelt, who's in the Bay Area these days. He's talking at uh, different sanghas um, about um, climate change and uh, uh, the the way that uh, one's dharma practice can include thinking about worldly concerns like uh, climate change, which is significant and worrisome. And in a conversation about his work that he's doing that I had with him, he said, you know, I go all over the place and I talk, and sometimes I always, often have a feeling that people are stunned by what I say, but it's, there's a kind of a barrier. It's really hard for people to hear because it's such, it's such overwhelmingly difficult news to hear for the whole planet when we say, may all beings everywhere feel safe, you think, wow, what are the implications of that? But to actually feel that and to feel it with a whole heart and one that has enough buoyancy left to say, okay, what can I do? How can I contribute to the solution to this? The whole world, his, actually, just to let you know, his message is optimistic. So the situation is, is, is really... Very, very, very serious. But it's not too late for everybody to change. And for everybody to change would mean everybody would need to start taking care of each other. And, th- and really that line about may all beings everywhere be safe. May they have physical happiness. May they have the things that you need to live a life with. So it's hard So to distinguish between metta practice and karuna practice and mudita practice. Uh, On the one hand, uh, we have different phrases and you'll see lists of them on the bulletin board. Maybe you got lists of them. And I I love the phrases. I I read them all over and I thought, everybody says different things, which is fine because everybody's things are what works for them to console their heart and then from that place of a consoled heart, um, not contented, but consoled and steady, their good wishes come out. I think it's no question in my mind that we are wired for compassion, that we are wired for taking care of each other. We wouldn't have endured as a species if we weren't. We are wired to do that. We have things that we have to get over that we're also wired for like recognizing who looks like us and who doesn't and realizing that it doesn't matter. But uh, basically, we are wired to take care of our own and taking care of our own means taking care of everybody's own. So sometimes when I think about compassion practice, you think the bar to compassion practice is being frightened by what's going on or overwhelmed by it, it's too terrible, whether it's climate catastrophe or your friend who's dying. And the impediment, I just want to mention it a little bit because I think it's appropriate to do that, the impediment to mudita practice, which is rejoicing with other people in their good fortune, is that it's easy to do that when their good fortune is not in a category that you wish you had good fortune in. (laughs) 
because when uh, it isn't that you don't wish them good fortune, but when they announce to you, this and this happened to me, good fortune, and the one or two parts of it at least are things that you wanted. It brings up in you a certain amount, it brings up in me a certain amount of yearning. Huh. Uh, Not I wish they didn't have it, but I I wish I'd have that too. I forgot that I wanted that. Now I'm remembering. And they got it, and I didn't, you know. It's... uh, it's really it's one of the it's one of the more embarrassing things. Does it not happen to you? Somebody, somebody. It's embarrassing. You see, if you say, you know, I heard about climate change. It was so upset me. That's not embarrassing, you know, because it's supposed to upset you. And then you say, but I steadied my mind and thought, okay, I am making a devout attention to what I can do to make a difference. But you have to say, you know, my friend met the person that they've been waiting to meet for all their life, and in the same day they found out that they were promoted in their job, and that day when they got home they found a message on their phone machine that their manuscript was accepted, and, you know, just a few more things that that you would have had on your list of things that wouldn't have been so bad to have. And you, and you don't wish them less, you just, ah, oh, wish I had that. And it's, and you have a fair, you never had that, or you have that. You feel ignoble about it. That was not so nice of me to wish that. For me, I should just rejoice. But it's not ignoble. It's really the 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 recognition in yourself that, oh, I'm yearning for that, and I don't have it, and I feel bad. And it's actually a source of, a, 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 a reason for compassion for yourself. Whoa, I wish I had that. I don't have that. I'm in pain. Everything that arises passes away. This is going to pass. Everything passes. Things happen when the necessary and sufficient conditions happen for them to happen. This is not my time to have all those good fortunes. It is her time or his time. I find that when my mind is... that my my ways of distinguishing when is this metta, this wishing well, and when is it karuna, and when is it mudita... Is it's metta when it's uncomplicated, and it's just I, you know, I feel myself okay, and he has this one to bless, and that one to bless, and the other one to bless, and it becomes a little bit compassion practice when the situation is startling or difficult, when it is my friend who's dying, or when it is this terrible news about climate that I need to hear, and my heart tightens up about it, and I say, oh. So my my own my own experience is that it's not that easy to wish well when my heart is tightened up, and I need to notice that first. It's actually mindfulness practice or compassion practice for myself. I say to myself, "Whoa, that's painful for you. Let's relax, Sylvia. Take a breath. You'll be okay. You're okay. Take another breath. You can look at this. You can do this." Everything that arises passes away. May this difficulty for these people, for that person, for me, pass soon. I'll take another breath now. May we all be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. It's like recovering my good heart from having had it clench up. And the same with mudita practice. I think of somebody and it revs up a yearn in me. I think to myself, whoa. That's uncomfortable, that jealousy, that envy. Take a breath, Sylvia, relax. Things happen when they happen. It's not your time. But I want it to be my time. It's not your time. Everything arises, passes away, things change. You never know. Take a breath. This is painful, this envy. Take another breath. Really, things happen when they happen. May all beings be peaceful. And by the way, may my friend rejoice and may good fortune continue. When the mind settles down, when I acknowledge my own pain, I can take care of other people. My mind does it automatically. But I can't bypass my pain. I have to recognize it. That's why in another way I think of... uh, It's hard for me to tell the difference between... uh, Any of the mindful metta or karuna or um, mudita, because I think what it all is 
is keeping the mind clear so that one's inherent good heart can manifest itself not only for the well-being of whatever person that we're wishing for, but for my own well-being. I had read some wonderful quote this week. I wonder if I wrote it down for you. Otherwise, I'll tell it to you on Saturday. But it was a really good thing about, well, it doesn't matter. I'll tell it to you on Saturday. But something to the effect of um, good wishes protect other people and they protect you as well, the wisher. As long as my heart is able to wish well, then my mind is a totally safe neighborhood. I don't have anybody in it that's, that's a problem for me. And I, I like the idea of uh, living in a safe neighborhood. So I would like to suggest, we were supposed to have 15 minutes of questions and answers, and we were supposed to have 15 minutes of sitting, so we used up too much. I'd like to suggest that we sit for um, 10 minutes, during which time, make yourself comfortable, think about yourself, Wish yourself well with whatever words you're using. And then think about people in your life. Call up this one, call up that one. And in, say whatever words of wishing well. You know, the, the very people in my life who sometimes are my best beloved are sometimes my difficult person. Do you ever notice that? That they move around and take turns and... Uh, people that I didn't think were dear to me, so suddenly because I've been wishing them well, now they're dear to me. And see who comes into your mind. Don't even call up from this category or that category. Think about somebody and wish them well. <laughs> and see if you can stay with them for a while so you feel connected to them. And then pick somebody else, then pick somebody else. And see, because people are multifaceted. The very people who I love the most have complications about them. They startle me sometimes. I startle them. How in this moment can I love? That's what we're doing.
A little time for questions, if you have them. Wendy. You know, I, I'm actually very touched by the idea that you all of a sudden have these people lining up at the at the gate. You know, people often say, you know, when I think about my, uh, my, uh, what friend will I ask, then they all line up. I I think there's like an insight in everything. Like all those people lining up at the gate is really everybody is worthy of compassion. You know, they everybody in the world can line up at the gate, or that that's maybe your impulse to take care of everybody in the world. Which is lovely, you know, that uh, thinking about um, the Bodhisattva of compassion who has millions of hands. Well, not millions, there's actually a certain number. How many hands does. Do you know? Thousands. Thousands. There you go. Thousand hands. A thousand million hands. A lot. Yes. So uh, you said think about people who were in your life, and I, I thought about people first. I thought about people who done me wrong, mm-hmm. and there were three in particular. And by the time I got to the end of my thinking, those three people were my greatest benefactors. Mm-hmm. They changed my life. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for that insight. It's a relief, isn't it? <laughs> I will. Did you, did you not hear? Well, I'll do now. I'll, I'll repeat now, okay. I, um, I, I relate to what you're saying about them all overlapping. Mm-hmm. Like I'll have emotion hit me, and I'll come up with new phrases that feel really authentic or genuine. Is do you recommend sticking with one phrase set, or is it okay to sort of feel your way through it? Yes. <laughs> Both of them are okay. What's your name? Max. Max. So Max is asking. Uh, Max is noticing that. Uh, with different people, the the impulse to say different things comes up because people have different situations. And if we met them in the street and, and they were somebody that we knew or loved, we wouldn't say, may you have mental happiness. I'd say, I hope you're well. You know, we were talking, regular talking. Uh, the value of saying a set number of phrases over and over and over again as part of practice uh, is uh, as much inclining the the mind in that uh, direction of caring as also trying to develop a certain amount of concentration in the mind. So there's values to taking uh, some amount of time, especially on retreat, so you have lots of time, to say, okay, let me not even think of lots of people. Let me just take a set of phrases and say them over and over and over again thinking about how it would be. Maybe pick one situation or one person and make those phrases to them just to develop that steadiness of mind while you're walking and while you're sitting because it makes it much easier then to think, well, for this one I'll say this and for that one I'll say that. Then you get a lot of mental, pre- no, that wasn't the right thing to say, I'll do it another way. So uh, so there's a great value to that. And... It's, there's also, uh, I think, as one becomes um, really habituated to rescue, I, I think to myself, I rescue myself from distress by saying, take a breath, sweetheart, you'll be all right. You just got frightened. Take a breath, take another breath. Now look again. 
all things arise and everything that arises passes away. This too shall pass. Everything's going to be all right. May this person soon feel better. May their difficulty pass. So I feel like I have to come through myself and talk myself back into my clearest mind and then I'll say something good towards them. And the saying, they won't know that I did that. That might happen between me and somebody who doesn't know me that I'm just watching. Maybe there's somebody that I see in some situation that I see is having a more difficult time in that moment than I am. But what happens is when I wish well for somebody, whether they know it or not, it sets up a connection. Like there's there's a sense of connectedness. It uh, reminds me now of why that Kisagatami story touched me so much because the first time that I read that she said, not only did I learn that things end, but I learned that I'm doing this along with everybody else who has this experience, that we're connected. And that that touched me a lot. So the the idea of really feeling oneself connected. Sometimes people talk about the feeling of metta, and it's hard to say what's the feeling of metta. But I think it's the feeling of connection that's genuine, that this is real. And it happens here, you know. Often people say, you know, does it, you know, does the other person know it, especially if they're not here? Do they know you're wishing? I have all kinds of friends who have told me stories about they were on retreat, they did practice for their mother for six weeks, and lo and behold, when they went home, their mother was a new person. So who knows, you know? That's part of the apocryphal lore, and it could be true, you know? Um, but the the person who's most affected by my wishing well is me. I get changed. I get habituated to kindness. And then I feel better about myself. I feel better, and I feel better about myself. I move into being the kind of person that I'd really like to be. Maybe one more question. Yeah. I keep running into a kind of sticky um, situation um, between a dear friend where um, we'll get close, and then... Um, maybe I'll say something that's upsetting or um, maybe there's some upset there and what I find is that because I want to take care in a certain way I wind up um, disconnecting from myself and I, I like what you were saying about having compassion for yourself and I'm just wondering how to be skillful in a situation where both people are in need mm-hmm. What's your name? My name's Glenn. Glenn, thank you. So what about in in uh, thinking of a relationship in, in the outside life where, I was going to say thinking of a relationship where things are sometimes a little rocky. I can't think of a relationship where things aren't sometimes <laughs> a little rocky. Everybody has rockiness in their relationship. Uh, but when it comes up and you're sitting here and it's hard to think about them, because the mind starts to remind you, but this happened and that happened. One of the things I think that um, I've discovered recently, I actually begin to, uh, I don't want to say see it, because I don't visually see it, but almost, that when I become affronted by something, when I, maybe somebody says something and it hurts me. Maybe it's somebody that is an intimate of mine, a good friend, a uh my partner, my, a relative or something. And they say something and my mind takes umbrage about it. I say, ah, you know. In the next moment, it's a moment, it's a painful moment when somebody says something. The mind thinks, ah, I don't like that. And in the next moment, what normally happens is that there's a kind of a rap sheet of history that unfurls itself in the mind <laughs> that says, this is, he did the same thing you know, two Sundays ago, and what's more, you know, last Fourth of July, also the same thing. That we have a, a isn't that true? And then, and then we get all frightened by our whole history about it. And what I've been watching is here. I'm going along, and I feel all right, and I'm with X or Y or whoever. Suddenly, does something, and I get startled. Ah! And here's the rap sheet about to unfurl and remind me. And it's like a fork in the road. And if I've been practicing enough of my mind's 
in a good enough place, in a settled enough place, it will see that moment and it gets to choose. Either read the rap sheet and get all whipped up and continue on with that, or say, wow, that hurt. That's unusual. This is a person that I actually love. Take a breath. This was an off moment. This was an off moment. She made a mistake. He made a mistake. Take a breath. It's okay. Actually, the biggest... And at that point, if my mind is not all confused with history, I remember the biggest story. They're they're my child or my sister or my cousin or my partner or my whatever. And we have a whole life together. There's all these times that we fall embroiled into conflicts with intimates just because we get frightened into remembering the story and not and the mind closes but i think one of the great benefits of doing enough practice is you get a moment of mindfulness before that all happens it's like avoiding the storm when i do that i the next moment and i realize i ducked that storm i think to myself you it's like you know it's like dodging a bullet you know it could have ruined the whole rest of my day and this other person's day and i just took you know it's like Aikido, I stepped out of the way or something. It, I think it's, 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 it's not so, it, it has to do with the transformed mind that tends in the direction of keeping its own peacefulness. I think that's probably enough for today. It was really a pleasure for me to come. Thank you very much. I'm plugged in here so we're very much um, hoping that you're feeling as delighted as we are by the presence of Sylvia and the gift of her visit here yes you have to take our appreciation now (laughs) thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.